Hi, and welcome to the Wine Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Craig. The Wine Beat is an exploration of the world's great wine regions and great winemakers, sometimes off the beaten path. And today, we're going back to the South Okanagan to Mooncursor Vineyards for the second part of my interview with Chris Tolley of Mooncursor. Now, if you haven't listened to the first part of the interview, then head over to the website and have a listen to that. You'll be impressed by how effortlessly and clearly Chris explains winemaking wine varieties, and the beauty of his own wine region, the Okanagan Valley in BC. If you've already listened to it, well, then here's part two. And in this second part, Chris moves from talking about his winery and wine varieties to a more general overview of the Okanagan Valley. He gives us his perspective of what winemaking is all about in this special region. He talks about the different subregions and and why the valley is not really a single region at all. He talks about how he is awed and he's very grateful to be working in this industry, which is young, it's evolving, and it generates so much innovation. He he sees the Okanagan as a special place where a winemaker or wine grower can keep discovering just as the valley itself is discovering. The experimentation with varieties, with wine growing techniques, the microclimates, the blends, all that that's going on and makes the wine scene here really exciting. And Chris also addresses something else that's very distinctive and very cool about BC wines, and that's that rich fruit character. If you've ever had BC wines, you know that that fruit character really shines through. He gives us a pretty clear insight into that. Anyway, we pick up the conversation uh, after the first part of the podcast interview, and this is where Chris is explaining the unique nature of the geography and the climate around a Soyuz, uh, the Sonoran Desert North. So without further ado, this is Chris Tolley of Mooncursor Vineyards, Part two, here we go, boom. Curious about how they translate to Canada. And, and I think maybe that's where I'd really like to take you for a bit, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, It's sure. about making wine in Canada. So, you know, imagine that you're going to have listeners to this podcast in the UK and the US and other places, and these are the people who think we, you know, <laughs> we're, we're living in the frozen north, and we th- they think of ice wine, right? Sorry, I don't mind saying that, right? And, and so... I'm looking through the windows at your place here. We've got a 180-degree view of this um, mountain, uh, dryish mountain country, this big lake stretching up and down north to south in front of us. Um, but uh, for, for an... And, yeah, we'll talk about exports maybe a little bit. But anyway, for an international clientele, how do you even begin to describe where you're making wines and why winemaking works so well here? Well, um, the one, the first thing that I think people don't understand about anyway, the south half, uh, half of this valley, pardon me, south half of the valley, um, is that it's an extension of the Sonoran Desert, which starts in Mexico and comes up through the U.S. and then it ends up. This is normally one of my touch points because it it comes through um, Washington State and near Yakima, and where they have a region themselves so that it sort of enables, quite a well-known one <laughs> yeah and it enables understanding like, like oh yeah that we're part of that desert and the, the heat and 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 that's sort of the wine growing area but um the easiest way is in growing degree days so you can just say we get 1500 growing degree days and it, you know people um well you know viticulturists certainly would be any fruit grower they have different growing degree days depending on the fruit, yeah. different cutoff. But a function of the uh, uh, the uh, the 
the number of days and the, the, temp- the yeah. average temperature in those days, and you get your growing degree days, which tells you how yeah. much per day you'd get. And then there's a cutoff where, you know, with grapes, it's above 10. So if you're 11 the whole day, you get one growing degree day. Um, and the different fruit uh, is sensitive to different varying degrees. So with cherries, it might be 12 degrees where you don't, anything under 12, you don't get any credit. Um, that's the easiest way to describe it. Um, because it's sort of, it doesn't, you know, it, it does, if you get that many growing degree days, um, that kind of gives you a picture of the summer and how much heat you're going to get. And then you got to have a cold enough winter, right? So that the vines go to sleep because, uh, there are places that get as many growing degree days as us, but never, never get cold. So the vines, uh, perpetually growing. We don't uh, have a problem on the sleeping side of things. No. On the, on the, <laughs> on the growing degree yeah. days, uh, 1500. So what does that equate to for? Our, well, for it's our... actually, you know, you start to be sort of somewhere around the Rhone or something like that. Uh, your temperature profile is totally different, um, but you're getting the heat. And so you can pick varieties that, you know, maybe ripen early. So you're ripening in, in, in still in where we still have some heat. Uh, and then, you, you know, you try to match the varietal to, uh, to the area. And certainly, you know, just this winery and our wines, if you taste through them, you know, they're varietals that will do well here. Um, and some better than others, like Merlot throughout the valley seems to do quite well. Um, but there's a problem with thinking of the Okanagan Valley because this starts here in the soy. Well, in the U.S., it's called the Okanagan Valley, and then up in Canada, it's called the Okanagan. But if you just start at our border, um, where we at, are in where, the Soyuz, yeah, and you have certain varieties you can grow there, and then you drive. I don't know, 150k north, and you're still in the Okanagan Valley, and you're still growing grapes. But 150k is it makes for a significant change in climate, and so you're growing different varieties um, and making different style wines, and you still have Merlot, and so you, you say Merlot does well in the valley. You're like what Merlot are you talking about? Are you talking about you know sort of the hot climate Merlot where we're we're getting a little blousy, but it mixes well with more structured wines like Cab Sauv and, and that, you know, and, and can be nice by itself, although very full, very rich. Or, you know, from Vernon, where they're growing Merlot still, there are some people. Um, it's certainly Kelowna, but that's a different Merlot. When better or worse, I don't know. But, uh, you know, the, the, so the valley has all these different styles and all these different varieties and it's hard to speak of it as one cohesive wine region where you where you would it's almost like speaking of burgundy uh as part of of um you know they they grow pinot noir there and then uh and then you have beaujolais and i don't think of them as one wine region You're, you're growing a different varietal and you're growing them in different areas and when you're talking about them all being part of burgundy it it sort of confuses the idea and same here this is a very disparate valley and we make nice wines but it it, i think it'll always be that it'll always be more you have to be interested you can't just generalize the whole thing and 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 not know very much about it because you, you can with something 
Like it, almost people do that with Australia. It's like Australia, that's the wine region. You know, like it's 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 a continent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then there's total total smorgasbord of different wine styles. Climates and, uh, yeah. and and so he, so when I speak of it, I just just speak of Masoyas because we have a fairly uh, localized climate. The two sides of the lake and to ten, you know, even uh, Black Sage. Which is just on the east bench of Oliver. Yeah, little different climate, but very close. So you can almost speak of the two together. And then there's a place up north called McIntyre Bluff, which is just north of Oliver. And a lot of people use that south of McIntyre Bluff because they mean the hotter area. And then um, they use an aromatic bench into Summerland and down to McIntyre Bluff. So so going from south to north it, it'd be just you know north of all uh, north of McIntyre Bluff and then going up into Aramata and then to Summerland and maybe a little beyond and that's sort of what people think of as one region um, but there's so many permutations and combinations yeah there's the east side of the lake and the west side of the lake and but you know you know and, and I talked about Riesling here you know you can't do Riesling here but Riesling from the Okanagan Valley is very nice yeah, but actually. you might have a you know a different different experience depending on where it came from but here it's heat and then and that's what you know winemakers uh, to the words the north end of the uh, valley uh, obtain their uh, Bordeaux varietals using one example right the best Bordeaux varietals often come from down here because we got a yeah. warmer climate yeah. so the winemakers up there will have a vineyard down here and they'll uh, grow some of their Confusing big, the big reds down here, right? Confusing the issue even more, yeah. right? Because you, you're like, oh, we're in Kelowna. Wow, these these big reds from Kelowna are great, but they have a vineyard down here, and they make so uh, concentrating on Asoyas. It's also affected by the fact that it's the hottest spot in Canada. I'll just you know, there, there's there's some debate about that, but at least close to the hottest spot in Canada that can grow grapes. And so you're almost pushed into doing reds because you can't do reds elsewhere. So why would you plant whites? You could do whites in a number of places. Um, so it becomes the red, the red sort of centric area. Um, yeah. And so we, we we're following that. We do eleven red uh, labels and two white, and the whites are Mernays and Viognieres and Marsan. So sort of hotter climate whites. Um, but, um, you know, it's a, a local idea of heat because, you know, we couldn't do something like Malte Picciano um, because even in Italy, in southern Italy, it ripens late in October into November and you're, you're like, wow, that's, that's snow on the ground time here. But uh, I remember reading, and I can't remember what book, I think it was Gladstone's, writes a book about climate and viticulture. He was saying some of the nicest wines uh, come from regions where they're on the edge of their capability. So where, you, you know, some some years you have poorer vintages and some years you have better vintages, but the better vintages are world-class. Whereas if you have a luxurious climate, you always have a nice, pro, uh, nice wine, but they're never at the pinnacle of... So... Interesting. So it's an interesting theory, but it's sometimes it's, you know, you think about what you have planted here 
if you if you have something planted that how is going to ripen, yeah. um, then you might not and ripen consistently, and you might not have as nice a product as if as if you planted something that that was more work to ripen and, and required more time. Maybe it is the attention, the extra attention that you have to give to it that makes it better because you're always, you know, you're always, you have to be fastidious about your pruning and your leaf thinning and to, to get it ripe. And that's where that actual quality come from. I don't know, but, Maybe. but uh, certainly the varieties that we picked here, you know, certainly do well here. And I think the surprise is that um, the red varieties um, that are associated with heat um, do well here because I think the perception of Canada is that it's cold, but it's, but it's not, it's it's for the most part cold, but we do have regions where we get we get some pretty extreme temperatures. Uh, that's that's the, the you know certainly throughout Canada we have areas where we get extreme temperatures. Montreal is very hot. Um, but you're talking about the sleeping thing, you know, um, you just kill the vines in the winter, it gets too cold. Then so this is part of the valley that that people might not understand is it never actually gets that cold here. We get to, you know, minus eight and that's about as cold as it gets, even though we're in a continental climate. Yeah. It, it, this valley is, is... From that perspective, if there wa a vine couldn't be much happier, right? It's got a nice summer and it's got a relatively mild winter. Yeah, and that and, and enough to enough that it goes dormant, but not enough that you kill it. And and that normally that's done with you know the latitude, right? Is you want to be between here and here because that's the area where you get enough heat, but you also get it cool enough. But some uh, parts of the valley have frost problems, obviously. Yeah. Do you guys have it down here? We don't on these slopes. So most of our our vines are on these slopes, and so they they have frost that. We we haven't had many frost problems, and a lot of the frost is due to frost pockets. It's not that um, it just gets cold in the valley, and you have a, a valley-wide frost. It's generally it, it kind of antiabatic. Yeah. yeah, it comes down and it sits in the low spots, and then you you see the fans around here in different locations, and they try yeah. to mix the air up. Um, that being said, we're on the slope, so we don't have any fans. So if it ever does get too cold just it's just a problem we've we had we had it on you know it, it's it's more subtle than you might think we we have a vineyard across the way and it it's fairly uniform slope fairly steep um, for walking like it, it would be a good workout walking from one end to the other but as it comes down to the bottom it had this little lip where it comes down on that consistent slope and then it changed to just about flat and there was a little tiny lip, and then it went drop back down again on an even steeper slope. So there's just this little, little change in curvature. And sure enough, that it wasn't that it didn't drain, but it backed up things enough. Just didn't enough. drain fast enough that it would back up things, and it formed a little frost, and it killed all the plants at the very bottom left corner of the vineyard. Yeah. And uh, and all you had so delicate. We had an excavator and not even a scraper just an excavator and we're just like why don't we just shave the top foot off this little lip yeah and we haven't had a problem again it just Amazing. drains at the right speed then um you know i i sort of think the the other thing about the valley is is it's a desert so you we only know one i went to school in new zealand and you study like 
you know, powdery mildew and, and downy mildew and, you know, black rot and, but, you know, the, the disease book that's, you know, 400 pages hardcover book and you yeah. learn about all these different, and then they come, came back to Okanagan and there's only one problem here, powdery mildew, nothing else exists, <laughs> but it, I'm sure it exists in some pockets and you can end up with some problems. Uh, but the viruses, they're, they're fairly new, you know, region to grapes. So a lot of the stuff we got in was virus-free, most of it. We had a few pro accidents, you know. But, um, and then it's a desert, um, at least. Uh, Pretty benign. I, yeah, there, there's not enough. From a disease pressure perspective. Yeah, and, and so we spray very little. Um, and... And nobody knows what you're talking about when you talk about other d diseases other than powdery mildew. Right. Um, so it's 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 a great place to grow grapes. And uh, this house, which we used to live in, um, sits right in the middle of the vineyard. And you know, in some vineyards, like uh, in some human vineyards, that'd be a problem. Like you'd be spraying all the time, and you wouldn't want to live right in the middle of it. But here, you hardly ever spray, and and it's not a not a problem um that being you know there were we're also on sand here so everything drains out of the soil really quickly um so we're not worried about you know if it rains near harvest three days later all that rain all that water is gone like it'd be it's a real drag if it's like within a couple of weeks but but it, it the water just drains out which creates new new problems but uh you know, because then you gotta irrigate fairly often. In fact, if you didn't irrigate here, like a week and a half, and everything would be gone. Right. Uh, so we have a very, uh, you know, very, at least mesoclimate, like a very, a very specific type of growing conditions here. Um, I have a feeling internationally we're kind of like known we kind of thought of Canada has a very, um, you know, sort of brand, right? Like it's, it's sort of a bit of nature and, and, but it's not known for, for, for growing grapes because it's sort of more of a Mediterranean idea, I guess. And, but if you kind of know your own country, whatever it is internationally, you know, there's certain regions in, uh, in your country that it just um, they just don't typify your area and and that's what this is in fact the okanagan here you can drive and i've lived in montreal and i've driven i live in vancouver lived in calgary i've driven across canada this little stretch from and i'm pointing here to one side of the valley to the other which at asoyos is only maybe 10k that that little stretch is like no other place in Canada. There's, you know, you go from pine trees. That's what of what most people think of as Canada, pine trees, and you know, and 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 sort of, uh, you know, spruce and, and that sort of thing. Some some coniferous trees, but you know, the cold weather ones. And then you drive into this valley, and for 10k, you're looking at sagebrush, yeah, and 
and a desert and you're like what happened and then you drive out the other side and you're back to the pine trees and it's like oh what was that all it's really it's really true i mean you call it's an extension of the sonoran desert and it's not too far off the concept people would have in their mind of that that is steep rocky bluff over here on the east which is dry there's some some pines but i mean it's pretty pretty dry and then across the way to the to the sort of the the, the more uh, low-rise mountains, I suppose. Are, but again, dry, uh, bright sun. I came from Kelowna, and it's cloudy up there. I don't know if that's always it's all, it tip, typically that way, but when you get down here, suddenly loads it, of sun. Oh, the, the de- I think in order to be a desert, you need five centimeters of precipitation or less in a year. I think it's Swiss is actually seven, but we call ourselves a desert because okay. it's... I mean, closest. Yeah, closest I mean, when, when you're that close and you're in Canada, you, you, <laughs> you, you take, just, you just, take yeah, you call. But you know, it is totally you, unique. You wouldn't see this uh, this scene anywhere else in Canada. There's some similar spots with the ponderosa pines and stuff like that. But this is pretty. Yeah, pretty but unique. as you look north there, yeah. and you look, so the Indian band here is very progressive. They're very, um, they're very. Um, they're very well metered like they they think of they think of things sort of long term and they're you know things get done and pilot projects and stuff like that like their winery so they have a winery and they've they've really thought that well out thought that out well and then they also have areas where they've decided not to plant grapes because most of their property is great for grapes because they're on the east bench here Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a very good slope and um, so they planted some of it to, for their winery, but they've also um, sort of have a plan where they're going to have places where, irrespective of the economics, they're they're going to keep the land. Give us the name of that uh, winery. Um, oh, so the winery is in Kamib, and and there's different because I was never quite sure. Yeah, there's there's different pronunciations, and the one that I find gets most used and uh, is in Kamib, and in Kamib and. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what is the exact pronunciation, but the, that's the common one. Sorry, um, I interrupted you there. But. Oh no, there, no, certainly. Uh, but um, I, I was saying, if you there, uh, the reservation here is a great uh, a great window into what the valley would look like without without the irrigation. What what the valley would be like untouched. And because, uh, as I said, they've taken part of their property and decided that we're going to leave it untouched. And, 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 you know, we can grow grapes too, but we want some of it to be the way it originally was and some of it to represent our culture. And, and it, for whatever reason, I, uh, I can only I only speak to a little bit of it, but I'm, I'm sure there's something in the plan. Um, and so when you look at it, it's, it's just sand and sagebrush. And, and, and you get you got to know the rest of this valley. So you look around and you see grapes and fruit trees and everything, but you got to know this whole place would look like that, that. if, if sand we, and sagebrush. Yeah. And, and it's Amazing, basically, huh? the, yeah. We are in Canada. Yeah. And, and so that's just, just I, I know you, you know, this is a podcast, <laughs> but, but I, I'll point it, you, you can see just, just up there. Uh, yeah. You know, that's yeah. all sage. Sorry to step away from, but uh, it's 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 very interesting because uh, 
the whole valley is 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 changed around uh, around agricultural production. The, you know, this side of the valley, they had a this side of the valley is all pumps. The other side of the valley had a flume that okay. came down from all over. Right. And everybody drew their irrigation water, and this was useless. This was this was just garbage over here because you couldn't get any water here. Right. And then as soon as they started pumping out of the lake, then all of a sudden the properties took off here. And then all the properties down near the lake, where all the mosquitoes were, weren't worth anything. <laughs> and so nobody wanted that. And then, of course, you know, properties near the lake now. They just, you yeah, know, because it's also very much a tourist center, right? This is, yeah. uh, this is tourist heaven in the summertime. Yeah, and a lot of our, our business is driven by tourism too, like the wineries here. Yeah. Um, we send a lot to the lower mainland, but it's uh, wine touring. You get good wine door yeah, traffic. Yeah, uh, wine. yeah. People like, they just like that. They they will actually just buy their wine on their, you know, they maybe come at the beginning and the end of summer and they buy wine and they travel and they enjoy the beach and, and everything and, and, uh, and that's how they buy wine. So it's, it, it's a very touristy area, but it's local tourists, a lot of people from Alberta and people from BC and uh, the Pacific Rim. So we're, uh, we're not the DC. only ones who have, you know, a nice wine road, but the Okanagan wine road is a pretty amazing wine road, right? It, the area around Oliver, um, yeah, Summerland, Kelowna, but down here, it's just, all of it's beautiful. And there's, uh, just and, it, and, and any number of winery doors to stop at. Yeah, and it's it's linear, which helps too, because it's very you drive up and and down it. It's not like sort of this circuitous route where you don't really know where you are. It's it's and then the North and then south, the mostly. And then it's yeah, and it and it the climate changes as you're going, and things yeah. change, and yeah. um, especially if you come in spring, you notice you probably notice the bloom change between. Cologne and, and very much so yeah. yeah yeah the fruit trees they're blooming up there but then you get down here and they're really uh, full full bloom yeah yeah and i live in penticton now as uh it's just this is a very small town and so we moved north about an hour to penticton and the kids go to school and and whenever i come down here whenever it's raining in penticton when i come down here half of the time it isn't raining so i figure about half the precipitation here than in penticton yeah and uh which, which leaves this. This is a very dry area, um, but uh, uh, great for grapes um, because you're never getting the canopy wet. Although, um, you know, this would never fly in France where they're not allowed to irrigate or anything like that. Uh, being blessed with many existing areas where they can grow grapes, this is the one area where we can grow grapes, but not naturally so to speak we have natural climate but it's not a natural irrigation system it's this is in fact the whole valley i guess is like that yeah it makes for a very innovative wine uh wine growing scene when you're not uh lumbered with a lot of regulations right the old school uh yeah. appalachian area style regulations you know bc is yeah you can innovate more you know, and I have a, I love the French idea of of wines. It's like we're gonna let the wines be, um, you know, signatures of of the vintage, and we don't want a lot of intervention. And and so the wines will be, you know, the vintage will be highly highly 
uh, a good piece of information, um, you know, like versus 2003 versus 2004, all oh, that's when we had the drought and blah. Uh, you know, but they also sacrifice, then, then you're not able to manip manipulate the quality as well. So you get more, more wines of a particular time, but you might be saddled with poor wines of a particular time and really great wines of a different time. Whereas I think, you know, that's hard game to play over here where people expect the same thing every year. Like they don't, they're not quite an, as enamored with the variation in vintage as they are with the variation in wineries. The, the Terroir the, and uh, yeah. location, I mean. Well, it, it seems to me, we're tr you know, we're tr as a wine industry, we're trying to push that. We want, we're Appalachians here, so they have one Appalachian where the, the Golden Mile is, uh, which is uh, just near Oliver. Um, and there more people are trying for the Appalachians, but right now, um, wine consumers are based on brands and, and not so much Appalachians, whereas over in France, they're ba it's based on Appalachians rather than particular brands. You know, some of the, some of the Appalachians and the brands are almost synonymous where, yeah, as in, as I'm sure you know, but, um, but uh, so, so I, I think the consumer here is a bit more expecting a consistent product rather than a product that's, you know, branded by Appalachian, which is almost, almost, you almost get, you know, you don't expect the same product year to year because you're not counting on a producer, you're counting on a, on a geographic area. So you expect it to change. Maybe this is me putting a little bit of my thoughts into it, but, um, but that is when I think of you know fine French wine, the first thing I think of is vintage and oh what was the year like. Whereas with Canadian wine, I think more of, oh what's the producer and right. I'm going to judge the quality what I'm drinking based on what I know about the producer, not necessarily what Partly I. Partly because they tend to be more consistent year. Yeah, I think so. Year. Even the U.S. wines, like uh, you know, when you get up really with high end Napa Cab. Um, you know, you start to think about vintage, but you know, you sort of think of, you know, Opus One. It, that sort of defines it. Like it's the producer, and the, the quality level is based on the producer. Not, I mean, there is that in France too with the classification, but uh, anyway. I, Let me ask you what might be a hard question. I don't know, but what would you say is the personality of uh, wines in this region? What what would uh, what would you say that really defines the wines from the Osoyoos area that, that that makes the Syrah from here distinct from the Syrah from France or you know from 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 the Rhone or from Australia or somewhere else? Is there something about this place that you could define that says well you know if you want to know about Canadian wines and particularly the wines of Osoyoos they are and uh, I would say fruit driven that they yeah uh, I would say. Like especially things that, that I think it comes from the Sirius Oliver up to McIntyre Bluff. Uh, I I feel more comfortable speaking about that because just because that's our home base. Um, but here in the desert, we get you know two thousand plus hours of sunshine a year. It just there's no clouds in in summer. It's just 
it's just basically there's been rain from you know April to October. Um, so you get very, very f- fruity wines, I, I think. Like they're just that so much sun. Whereas in other areas, you might get, you know, plenty of sunshine to grow grapes, but they're not, they're not just bathed in it all summer long. So, you know, we get, uh, we get, you know, we get high sugars here too. You know, some people are always like, you know, I was thinking you're deacidifying your wines in Canada because, um, you know, you're not, it's not warm enough not to get all that. Yeah. And it's quite the opposite. You're just getting pounded by sunshine all year long or all summer long it's a little bit rainy but as i said you're only getting about seven centimeters the whole year and it's all concentrated from october to about april which is not your growing season so in your growing season you're not getting any rain um and so you're getting all this sun and and that's what i was saying about the spraying too because generally what's going to cause you to want to go out and spray is uh, you haven't sprayed in a while, so the efficacy of what you have sprayed is now gone. But then you got to have sort of the environmental conditions for disease to start growing. And you don't because you don't have any moisture in the canopy, and it can go for like, you know, a month without ever raining. So you're just like, well, I'll just, you don't want to, you don't want to risk too much, but you're kind of like, well, there's no rain scheduled with the forecast another two weeks so maybe i'll just not spray for another week and a half and you know because there's there's no disease pressure building so you know you end up with wines that that all you've had is is sunlight and i think that at least in tastes we do like uh, the blind tastings and stuff we taste them again international wines and there's a difference between the international wines but they they tend to be a little bit less um bright they're they're a little bit more um savory if you will like they they have their fruit too but it's it's in a in a more nebulous package like you you notice the fruit but it isn't jumping out at you where some of the the grapes here like the the malbec that we grow here is just so field berry it's so blueberry it's it's where we're actually considering a program now where we don't oak malbec at all just because it's so pretty coming off out of the vineyard. Um, whereas, you know, in the French style, it's a little bit more muscular. And, yeah. and, and, you know, it's not just... It's almost even makes the wines a little bit sometimes, like, um, monodimensional because... They're, they're so just stare. They're so... Yeah, it, you know, and then over here, they're, they're also that way. But in a fruit way, you're kind of like, like this, this sweet fruit. But, um, you know, you also want sort of some nuance to your wine too you don't want to just be all fruit so uh, you know but that i just to answer your question directly i think that is the one signature like even when you get up into naramata like the the wines are always so bright and they some of the viognes you know viognia needs a fair bit of heat but then some of the stuff they grow um like it's just so bright and, and and that's nice but but you know wine isn't all just the intensity of the fruit it's also got some sort of over you know overarching sort of uh balance to it that that makes a great wine great so um i guess we're we're looking at you know 
as a as the lower part of the valley, you're looking at not only achieving the fruit that you get naturally, but also how to sort of blend it with the best blends are, what you know, how to vinify it so that you get more more subtleties to your to your wine. Yeah. Uh, but but <laughs> but sunlight is not a problem. It's that's for sure. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what the effect was of, because I think the plant photosynthesizes at full capacity at fifty percent sunlight. So you don't need direct sunlight. It can be cloudy, and your plant's still going as fast as it can. But the, the million dollar question is, it might be photosynthesizing as fast as it can. But what what products of the photosynthesis are being delivered to the berry, and do they change what the I'm sure there's probably somebody out there doing some sort of test like that, but it's it's not something we can change here anyway. So knowing that there is a difference doesn't really matter because you can't really do anything. <laughs> you've got the climate you've got. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then, what are you going to do with is, it? It's know, is probably the better know, question. Yeah, the region is so blessed. It's in, uh, uh, you wouldn't want to change it, right? It it produces, I guess, as as you're describing it. A, maybe a bit of a fruit driven expression and that's just that's just what we do here yeah yeah it, it, they're just going to be they're not going to be you're not going to create uh you know uh, uh, a sort of malbec from from uh you know uh, uh Cahor. yeah yeah it, it's just it's never going to be that um if that was your your goal you're going to be disappointed but on the other hand, the wine you do produce has its own style and its own quality level, and it isn't necessarily worse or better than its old world counterpart. It's just different, and then, but it may be different, and it might be worse or better, uh, depending on depending on how it's vinified and what you've done with it. So you get this raw fruit in, and you can't make core wine. But you can make something else, or you can, and that something else can be, you can go many different ways with it and make a great wine. Or like, a, like a lot of people always say, with, you know, you, you end up with a certain quality level. The fruit only has a certain ability to make a nice wine. Say it's 95 points. That's the best wine you can make if you decide to make that wine you might have already not decided not to you might have decided oh we're not going to do an alcoholic soak we're not going to keep you know the skins on for an extended period of time and i'm not going to do this and i'm not going to do that well that's choices you should have made you could have made the best wines but you don't know that so you make your wine and then you make mistakes along the way so not only so you started at 95 points and you've decided not to make that wine you're 93 points now and then you make a mistake along the way where you know you pressed it too hard and you got a lot of bitterness <laughs> and then you're 92 points and then you're 91 so it's almost depressing to think of it that way but you can you think every everything we do that's not right keeps the, the grapes are the best they're going to be when they arrive and yeah. everything you do till it gets into the bottle is just going to be you're either going to maintain that quality or you're going to lose quality it's kind of bad way to think about it when you're actually at the winery but it's true like that's an enlightening way to think about it right yeah, yeah. you you better make good choices along the way and i think 
you know, our business has grown uh, from BC point of view. BC wine business has grown where we're making less and less, and I would, I would hopefully say very little mistakes in the second category where we're not doing things, you know, we're pressing too hard or something, we don't have the right equipment, um, be, you know, because it isn't available or because we didn't pursue buying it or for whatever reason and we didn't right, use the right chemicals. Uh, I mean, like when I say chemicals, I mean yeast and, and you know, uh, tannins and, and those sort of things uh, be, for whatever reason. I think we've gotten beyond that. Like I think in BC now, all those decisions for the most part are the right decisions. What we're still searching for is that original decision that is saying the style is what style is going to work best with this wine? How can I make this wine? Because that's a that's a hard thing to do in a laboratory because you only got one shot every year. And you try it, you know, you, you make... So help me understand that. Is that getting it right in the vineyard or getting it right in the winery or both? Is or b both, I think, where you say, well, should we be relief stripping? Yeah. Is that actually getting sunlight to the cluster and the cluster's being better for it? Or is it worse? Is it just riper? but I'm not getting the flavors or did I not want to ripen it? I want to ripen it slow, more slowly and keep the leaves on. And I know they, like in New Zealand, they made a mistake in Marlboro one year. They had a super hot season, but nobody changed anything in the vineyard. So that year, the best Sauvignon Blanc uh, didn't come from Marlboro. It came from a cooler area because it was a hotter season and they ended up with a more Marlboro style wine. So you're... So you, you can't just keep doing the same thing. It changes every year. Um, but what your goal is and what you think your goal is, um, I think um, we're finding, we're finally finding in BC, you know, A, the varietal. Like I, I shouldn't have Viognier here at all. Like if I was, if I, you know, if I wanted to make the best wine I could, they'd pull out that Viognier and you put in, a, a, this is in a hypothetical, you put in Cap Franc or something because you're going to make it way better Cap Franc than Viognier. We're, we're getting to the edge of that where people are saying what varietals do better than other varietals and it's becoming clearer. Um, but then once you get that problem solved, okay, what style of Cap Franc are you going to do? Dialing so, it in. Yeah, and then, okay, and so what decisions are you going to make and, and, and how are you going to grow it? And is it even the right Cap Franc for that soil? Or, you know, it might be the best... Cab Franc does well in the South Okanagan. And then, okay, well, what's the South Okanagan? There's a lot of different, you know, pockets. And, you, you know, do you just plant Cab Franc everywhere? Or is that best for east-facing slopes that, you know, that, that are the hottest they can be? Or do you want something more moderate? And, um, and then, this, as I said, the styles, are you, you know, are you doing something that's more extracted? Are you doing something that's lighter? Are you doing something... It's got a little, you know, a little herbaceousness, like a Loire or Ontario does Cab Franc with it. Or you're trying to just ripen that totally out and do something with a more raspberry in Cab Franc. Or like, what's your overall goal? And then that that's deciding on your, that, you know, you're going to be able to do each one of those styles. In my, This is all in my opinion. Each one of those styles to a different level of quality. So you have to pick the style that you can do the best level quality. That's why I believe, like we we were saying earlier, where you look back at uh, core, you're like, oh, I really want to do that style. I love that wine. I want my wine to be just like that wine. I think that's a sacrifice of quality right out, out of the gate. Like it's just you're pushing. You're trying to make something that's not being given to you. Just just take what you're given. Make the best you can. 
question is, what are you given? <laughs> what is it that, you know, certainly it's not the cohort style, but what is it? I, you know, I don't know. And, and we, we have a hard time at that here. We try to make a certain style, but we have 13 wines. So we're, we're working on the varietals a bit too. And, you know, some of them are saying, well, and then some of them you're saying, well, they, we per, Syrah is super popular here. And so maybe we should just rip everything out and make Syrah, but that's maybe not the point either. You know, it's hard, it's hard to completely, to completely solve that riddle. I don't know. Uh, you know, like, and maybe surprise popular now, but, you know, and, but I like Tanat and I like, you know, the RNAs. So I may keep making them or, you know, economically. It's nice to be able to stamp it with your own personality and the wine critics love it and the consumers are loving your wines and you've done something that's really, yeah, really quite unique, right? You've got a great spot to do it, but you, you've, you've taken some, you've gone off on, out on the, out on the limb a little bit with some of the varieties and done an amazing job. Yeah, and it's nice to, it's nice to see their expression in the Okanagan. It's almost like you've, you've created something. You know, you really haven't. Um, you've taken the vine and it grew here and it produced fruit and, and it, you just facilitated that by growing it. But it is nice to see something new come out of the Okanagan where you're like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we make one of the nicest tanats in the world. This is just happens to we've tried a number of varieties, and the tanat, I'm just, I'm, it's a bizarre grape to work with, but that's another story altogether. But you know, when tamed into in, into a certain window, you know, it's it's world class in my in my opinion, and it's kind of nice. It's like wow, this is the terroir. It's too bad we can't share it with the with the world. We don't have enough wine to share. Yeah. That's the other, that's the other thing. It, it's, you know, you might make the nicest wine in the world, but who cares if you can't buy it? Like somebody. Well, we get to drink it here. I mean, we've got yeah. that going for us, right? No, but yeah, but, but uh, you we, know. We don't get out into the world as much as would be nice, right? We'd like to get that. And it's hard to appeal to somebody in Austria when they just can't get the wine. Well, okay, so the Okanagan makes the world's nicest to not. Like, who cares? I can't get a bottle, so yeah, what does it really matter? Whereas with France, you know, like, oh, the you know, the, the apogee of, of what, Cab Merlot, and, you know, and okay, uh, you know, I can get a bottle and I can try it, and it's of interest to me. Uh, a little bit of our, our problem appealing to the international market is we can't feed the international market, yeah. so, yeah. Because yeah. Merlot here, like, we've I've had some winemakers from Australia because we were in New Zealand doing our education, and then we, uh, we had some friends... You know that were Australian and they came over and they one of them did a vintage here and one of them visited and they really liked the Merlot here and they're, they're like I don't like Merlot but I like Merlot from here and it's just the climate is so different that the Merlot comes out so completely different and you know it, it's it's yeah it's not that heavy uh, big big fruit style yeah. it's, it's brighter and it's it's uh more of a red fruit style than the sort of cooked fruit or whatever. and we yeah we have like this non-luxurious ripening period where you know it ripens um, by the end of the season but it, it it doesn't have this luxurious warmth Over, yeah overly opulent yeah kind of thing, where right? it can just keep ripening and ripening and then you know the Australians and Californians for you know a bit of their time have you know tried to produce big wines because they can 
and when you go big with Merlot, you just you just kind of lose all structure. And and here you you just can't get to that kind of opulence. So you, you produce your Merlot, and it's significantly different. Where people are like, "Wow, I really like this." And you produce something significantly different, but it isn't enough to change the Merlot perception because you're just this little pocket making Merlot. You know, the world of Merlot is the. The Merlot is going to live and die without you. Like you know, you're not driving the Merlot forces of the world. But it's it's certainly nice to make a you know like a, certainly New Zealand and Australia have to be quite quite proud. Like especially New Zealand, you know, Australia made its signature with Shiraz and and Cab Sauv, and then New Zealand has an international style um, with Sauvignon Blanc. Like the world looks to you know New Zealand as one of the leaders in Sauvignon Blanc. Now they can feed the world. Which, the they, yeah. capacity. But it's still nice to to make a world-class wine, even if you can't share it with everybody. Chris, thanks a million for the conversation. <laughs> no, 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 no. This I has just been, yeah, has sorry. been a barrel of fun. I'm Thank sorry you. if you came expecting some directed sort of conversation and you end up with my like complete verbal tangents and no, it's uh, really really insightful on a whole bunch of fronts the varietals the the, the place the philosophy it's great it's it's um it's it's certainly a, it's a real journey i know you started from a different profession and you know you sort of entered this business and you learn it's very different than what you probably perceived and same with us like it's just uh yeah. it's such a it's it's I think we've been blessed. I have with, one word for it to be overwhelming. I, I have no idea how overwhelming, but it's also uh, what you might not recognize is it's an opportunity that the, the rest of the world doesn't get. Nobody else grew up with a wine industry. There's a few others, but if you grew up in France or Italy or, or Spain or Portugal or like you know South Africa or whatever, you grew up into a mature wine it was business established there's no growing into it there's no finding things out there's a, that's just the way it is and welcome to it here you, you know you could try a bunch of things and then you had the market that was allowing you to do that because they were growing with you whereas you do it in south africa and everybody's like what are you, what are you you know what are you doing this is the way you do it we've already been through all that why are you playing that game again and it's new to you but the rest here you know and even now we're not finished yet there's still there's still some some very interesting road to travel um as you are um you know with with this growing industry it's it's uh it's anyway it's it's lots uh, of experimentation and innovation yet to come yeah, it's I, if if I'm long-winded about it all, it's because I've been I've been awed by it, and, and I find it immensely interesting that you know having grown with it, um, it would be very different than if you talked to me about you know something like my first business and like yours, not wine, and it's very established, and there's not there's enthusiasm for it, but it's you know, but it's hard to be exuberant where it's going and it, it, it's going where it's going and it's always been going that way and you're just part of it that that's not the wine business in bc so yeah still yeah. changing still evolving and still, still st very vibrant and we're getting into bubbly um 
you know, people are doing method champenoise, people are doing tank method, people are doing the, you know, the putting bubbles into the wine, you know, there's market for... Lots of pet know. nat, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah, right? you know, Burtis up at Maverick, he's doing, uh, he's doing um, the red. port, uh, oh yeah. and we have, we grow a table wine of Trigue Nacional, the yeah. port grape, so, you know, I feel like phoning Burtis up and saying, how about we do a barrel of, uh, yeah. of port together, and I'll do... I'll give you some Triga and you make it in a port. And we'll, <laughs> you know, the, there's often, I don't think that happens a lot in a really established, uh, yeah. you know, like when it's in Italy. No, it's yeah. true. I mean, you go into the different wineries here and you find it a pretty unique and innovative story. Maverick Burtis, yeah. as you're talking about, is a good example, right? He's doing yeah. all kinds of yeah. and interesting he's been, stuff. Yeah, and even he was one of the guys that sort of uh, opened my eyes to... Um, to uh, to how different it is here because he was saying he's South African. He was saying in South Africa you couldn't just start up a winery like it just mm. you know a you can't find any of the land or any it, you get everybody's already played that game right you, yeah. you you need to find investors and you can't just buy ten acres and start and it start growing. So. Anyway, I'll leave it there because I I should get going. Awesome with, conversation. The, uh, thanks thanks very much. Thanks, Sorry Chris. I noticed I. I'm starting to, yeah, I'm starting to get calls. You're starting right. to get calls. Yeah. Thanks a million. Yeah, cheers. You, cheers. A, you, a little more? Why not? I will. This is very good. Oh, thank you. That's great. Thanks. One for the road. Cheers. And there you go. That's Chris Tolley. Thanks very much for joining me on the Wine Beat. I'm going to just let it go there. Here's the fabulous Jimmy Wilson to take us away. Don't forget to check out the website for some companion materials from the Okanagan. There's new articles on uh, cool climate winemaking in BC, uh, uh, interviews with winemakers about what wines they like from outside of their home region. Chris Tolley is featured there. So come on over to the website, www.thewinebeat.com. But here we go, Jimmy Wilson. Let's go. You can talk about your whiskey, you can talk about your beer. 